Welcome to the introduction to Atlantis and Prehistory, a Modern Perspective by Andrew J. Wellburn. As part of my coronavirus creative project, I'm going to be reading chapter by chapter um, selections from the work of Rudolf Steiner, The Fate of a Lost Land and Its Secret Knowledge, Atlantis. This is the first recording, and I'm going to do this recording, which is the introduction, plus the six chapters in separate recordings. <clears throat> what do we really know about human prehistory? What were our remoter ancestors like? The brutish caveman of popular mythology, or, as seems increasingly to be suggested, human but strangely different from ourselves. More and more such questions are being asked, despite the efforts of generations of fossil hunters and archaeologists, leading experts on the subject are increasingly driven to admit that much which is essential to understanding the origins and early development of humanity remains an enigma. Darwin's hope that the emergence of human intelligence could be explained from the gradual animal evolution of uprightness in apes, freeing the hands and arms, leading to tool making, leading to cooperation and socialization, in turn requiring greater brain power, and so producing higher intelligence long dominated the scientific debate about prehistory. Only from the late 1960s did the evidence of new discoveries finally force scientists themselves to question it. Now, huge uncertainties and divergencies of opinion have emerged. Rather than a gradual animal development over 15 million years or so, many now think the evidence indicates more sudden processes, at least in evolutionary terms. Just the latest phase of the emergence of HOMO produces a tripling of the brain size the runaway brain, as some experts call it, an evolutionary leap which now looks less like a product of early human evolution than a force which actively empowered it. Increasingly, the scientists have had to ask whether such distinctively human things as language, consciousness, memory, are really the results the byproducts, as Darwin supposes, of our physical evolution. Was it not rather language, as many have now come to think, which transformed the evolutionary potential of humans and brought about the massive enlargement of brain power rather than vice versa? Was it not the closely related factor of social interaction rather than Darwinian? competitive hunting activity, which drove the emergence of human culture. The turnaround of cart and horse, so to speak, 
And the understanding of evolution has once again brought the issue of the human rather than animal to the forefront of our thinking. Yet paradoxically, the new trend leaves us with greater chasms to be spanned. It leaves the hominids prior to those breakthrough leaps whose remains are now being uncovered in greater numbers, looking markedly less human. Sometimes we have the strange phenomenon of closely related hominid types, but the one robust and animal-like, the other graceful and human in tendency. And how are we to explain the extraordinary rate of change shown in human evolution? It is hard to avoid the impression that sometimes is still missing from the picture, that we need a change of perspective still more radical, a deeper insight into our humanity, if we are to really to understand what is truly going on. Of course, it is still a huge leap from these questions to the perspective of Rudolf Steiner, perhaps of the order of an evolutionary breakthrough in our thinking itself. But it is certainly true that on the basis of this spiritual conception of humanity, Rudolf Steiner had already thought through many of the issues now facing research into these fascinating domains. If his Atlanteans still seem far removed from the speculations of the fossil scientists of today, it must at least be admitted that the appearance relatively far back of such things as language, relatively complete and elaborate, rather than as the result of intermittently long evolutionary chipping, makes the existence of human ways of life in those ancient times something with which we now have to come to terms. And such human features must nonetheless have coexisted with the absence of many of the aspects of human culture and even physical evolution, which we now take for granted. The situation Steiner describes of a humanity that had highly developed memory and dreamlike spiritual perception of their living environment, but nothing of what we know as rationality or self-awareness makes sense when we abandon the old notion of all human faculties emerging slowly together. Quite different states of development, quite different kinds of consciousness must have existed in the ages of human evolution. Our perspective on ourselves must change accordingly. Knowledge of the Atlantean stage of human development was important to Steiner for precisely this reason, as part of our understanding of human evolution overall. We need to understand it so as to know how we became human. The nature of our consciousness, and this is crucially important because it is only by seeing how we got here that we can also appreciate our potential for further development. Other modes of human life have existed and in the future will again be possible. 
It is this evolutionary perspective which is crucial to Steiner's anthroposophical approach. And um, I'm interjecting here also, this is uh, Madame Blavatsky's original work as well. And the way evolution turns out to have been driven by such factors as language development, socialization, etc., falls into place for him as part of an idea of evolution that from the very beginning included such spiritual aspects helping to determine the direction of organic evolution rather than emerging piecemeal from it. We shall see how they figure in his account of the way that spiritual evolution has played into and all along been part of physical evolution at the human stage bringing about the implanting of memory, language, and thought. Despite the huge gulfs that still remain, the convergences of approach between spiritual and scientific are also striking. And in many ways, Steiner seems to furnish exactly that other half of the equation, which was felt to be implied, however enigmatically, by the missing dimension in ordinary scientific thought. Steiner's Atlanteans are also a timely reminder of the way that our own evolution is always part of a larger evolution, that with a certain stage of development goes a whole world, an ecology of which we are a part, with their human but still un differentiated cosmic consciousness. They were in touch with the kinetic and growth forces in nature in a direct way, which we can no longer experience except through special techniques and trainings. It is really only in recent times with the highly individualistic consciousness we now possess that it has been possible to forget our interdependence. And it has been the task of spiritual thought, like Rudolf Steiner's and many others. Uh, Rudolf Steiner was Madame Blavatsky's uh, pupil, let's say, to remind us of the potentialities and also the dangers inherent in this situation. The catastrophe of Atlantis is in part a warning for us today, which can only be more urgently addressed to our modern civilization than when Steiner expressed it in these essays and these lectures. But there is much more of the positive side, which we also need today, where Rudolf Steiner describes how the consciousness of the Atlanteans concerning the hidden dimensions of the forces of nature was preserved in its essentials in the esoteric thought and practices of the ancient mysteries. In so far as it thus came down and played a part in Christianity, even if the church today has forgotten or denied its connections with those mysteries. It provides us with a key to the role that Christianity can again play in healing the ecological situation of our own day. What the mysteries 
preserved, according to Steiner, was not just a tradition about those primordial times. They preserved a way of entering once again into the primitive consciousness in touch with the powers of nature, which is still there from our Atlantean heritage, though it has been overlaid by many subsequent layers of development. As a result of their techniques, something, at least of the world of Atlantis, could be brought to life once again. We have here the clue as to how the mysteries could hand down knowledge of times so misty and remote from times when even the disposition of the continents on the Earth's surface was different. Every configuration of human development implies the whole world which belonged to it. Therefore, to recreate the configuration inwardly is, if done sufficiently, deeply, and objectively, to rediscover the cosmic memory of those lost times, the Akashic Record, as it is sometimes called. Staying in touch with their prehistoric heritage was in fact one of the primary functions of the ancient mystery cults. And in them, images of the distant past were expressed subsequently by the initiates in myth and in vision. Rudolf Steiner thus helps us to understand how humanity's connection with former dispositions of the earth could live on and can indeed be rediscovered by independent spiritual research today. As for the changing continents and the riddle of the Atlantis itself, Steiner's account has little connection with the efforts of those who would look for evidence in shallow seas that might have been laid in historical times or on the Atlantean ridge the Atlantic Ridge. His claim that the changing shapes of continents and oceans are an expression of the constantly moving inner life of the earth rather looks forward once more to advanced ideas of continental drift scientifically mocked and disparaged even long after Steiner's day when they were put forward by Wedgner and others but nowadays central to our view of the planet's past. Steiner explains, quote, In the primeval time, the portion of the surface of the Earth's globe today covered by the Atlantic Ocean was a mighty continent, while where Europe, Asia, and Africa are now situated, scarcely any continents were formed. Thus it is that the solid matter, the very substance of the earth, has been transformed as a result of its inner motion. For the planet earth is in a continual state of inner movement, end of quote. W. Scott Elliott, for whose work Steiner vouches, at least in externals, shows South America still separate as well as Atlantis and the remains of a large older continent from the breakup of which the modern disposition of land masses finally results. Much of this makes good modern sense. 
once we understand how humanity retained a spiritual connection with these primal events. Since Steiner's day, science has come to the conclusion already with large in Stein's evolutionary thought that the processes follow large rhythmic patterns. Behind the studies collected in this book stands the cosmic wisdom which reveals the connection of man with the whole evolution of the world. Steiner still has much to teach us. I believe about the links between human evolution and the vast rhythms of creation, links which are to be discovered in the hidden structure of our consciousness itself. Rudolf Steiner's writings and lectures on Atlantis, then, can open up exciting new vistas onto our own inner worlds and in their spiritual significance, onto the worlds that are only now being rediscovered by science in the primordial ages of humanity and our planet. I would only add one final note. Steiner makes rather frequent reference in some of these studies to the emergence of special characteristics among the different primitive races of humanity. He also reiterates on numerous occasions that this phase of radical differentiation belongs to the distant past. Nowadays, all creative change of the kind we need comes from individuals, not from racial groupings, which have become irrelevant to humanity's modern form of existence. The title page of Darwin's Origin of Species had contained a reference to natural selection and to the preservation of favored races. Certain features of his thought plainly arose on the analogy of the competitive economics and empire building of Victorian society. Or conversely, there were many who interpreted his evolutionary biology as implying that in the modern world, there too would be dominant races. In the struggle for mastery over their environment, Rudolf Steiner rejected this approach in its entirety and everywhere insisted that after prehistoric Atlantean times and man's evolution, one could speak only of developing cultures, cultural epochs, etc. This is a point he reiterates several times in the materials collected in this book. For him, the concept of race belongs to the remoter past of humanity and in modern times essentially has no reality. This aspect of his message needs to be emphasized even today in our age, which has learned a good deal about political correctness in such matters, but which retains a tendency to fall back all too easily on mass culture and its stereotypes. These are further examples of tendencies that need to be overcome by spiritual thinking today. Rudolf Steiner's concept of the creatively evolving individual, able to discover the full potential within our ever-changing individual and cultural perspectives on reality, still beckons us from the future. And that concludes the introduction. Thank you.